0: friends welcome back to the show or perhaps y'all should be welcoming me back since i'm the one who's been slacking on releasing new episodes oh man i've missed this and i'm excited to be back i've had some things to process through these last few months and i just needed a little more time before i came back so i appreciate y'all's patience as always if you'd like to connect with me on a more personal level my twitter is at redraw the bath and you can follow me on instagram at chris Harmon, R-T-B. Or you can always email me with any questions, comments, concerns, accusations, whatever you want to do at redrawingthebath at gmail.com. Well, today, I have the chance to share with you an interview I did months ago with Jamal Javanji. I first got introduced to Jamal as one of the co-hosts of Heretic Happy Hour, and he has since left that show to pursue his own work. But regardless, he has always been someone who has pushed me forward, encouraged me, pushed me out of my comfort zone. Um, And I just really appreciate the ways that he talks about God and consciousness and the way that our beliefs evolve and should evolve as time goes on. And so I hope this conversation encourages you as much as it encouraged me. So, without further ado, here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Redrawing the Bath. This is your host, Chris Harmon, and today I... I feel like it's getting old saying this If I have the special opportunity because I feel like every week I have the special opportunity to speak to people who have impacted my spiritual growth and my spiritual development through traumatic circumstances and faith evolution and and understanding who God is and understanding who I am. And so, again, today I have the special opportunity to welcome to the show Jamal Javanji. Jamal, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Oh, Chris, it's, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad to, uh, to, to come on the podcast. I can't wait to have this conversation with you. I love the name of your podcast, by the way, uh, redrawing the bath. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I've, you know, I've been accused of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. So it's nice to hear the positive <laughs> angle of that. I'm like, Hey, let's redraw the bath. I like Yeah.
0: That. No- yeah, that that's that's where it came from. Was the thing time and time again, it, growing up in a in a kind of fundamentalist neo Calvinist background and being kind of over that, it was always like, I get how you feel that way, but don't throw the baby out with the bath water. So I was like, well, if <laughs> let's uh, let's just get new water then. But yeah, uh, I love but it. Yeah, so um, I appreciate it. I, you're actually the first person that that's mentioned. Matt actually made a joke about it, but he uh, <laughs> he was like, thanks for letting me get in the bath with you or something like. <laughs> like
1: that. That's hilarious,
0: but yeah. So, so I'd love to just start by obviously, probably a lot of people that are going to be listening to the show today are going to know who you are, but for those that don't, just a little bit about your faith background, uh, where you've been to where you are now.
1: Yes, well, I'll try to give you the short version, and we can, if you need to do any follow ups, that's totally fine. Um, I uh, for, originally from Columbus, Ohio, so mm-hmm. the reason. I, I include that in my faith backgrounds because I'm a big, big believer in the Buckeyes, the Ohio State Buckeyes. And so uh, that's where I'm from. Uh, my uh, my mom and dad. Uh, my dad is from initially uh, where he grew. He was born in Zanzibar, which is a little island off the east coast of Africa, which is part of Tanzania now. Um, but when he was born there, it was a you know, British colony. And uh, but his family is originally from India, so they migrated to Zanzibar a couple, two, three generations ago. And then he grew up there. My mom is from Southeastern Ohio, grew up on a, on a farm. Um, You know, they were pen pals, wrote to each other for a number of years. And then they had never met. He proposed in the letter, pretty crazy story. And uh, (laughs) they ended up getting married and um, I have an older brother. And so my brother came along and then, and then me, and we were raised in a multi-faith family because my dad was a very devout Muslim. And my mom was a de- very devout Catholic, so I grew up in, the, in that mix. And uh, but I've always, I've always been one who was a, what I would consider like a, just somebody who was spiritually, um, a seeker. It was hungry mm-hmm. and very open. Always had a lot of questions about life, about why, why things are the way they are, that kind of thing. So um, that led me um, away from my mom and dad's faith because I couldn't make sense of it. Um, but I had a lot of just longing to want to belong, longing to want to feel like my life had purpose and significance, which I, I did not feel that way growing up. And it was through the influence of just in my high school at the high school level. And you know, I was into, I was, I was looking very deeply. I was, I was running down that road really hard of just trying to fill that proverbial proverbial void, so to speak, because I really felt it mm-hmm. and, um, I just, uh, got to the point where I was disillusioned in life. And it really was a few people who happened to be evangelical Christians who at the time really felt like they saw me and, uh, brought me into their family, brought me into their community and just loved me. And that, that was very healing. And it was what I, what I needed at that point in my journey. And so that eventually led me into what I would call evangelical Christianity right around the age of 17 18 years old and then um i jumped into that head you know i was <clears throat> i have an addictive personality or i had one especially not realizing that that that's a result of trauma trauma's mm-hmm. the ultimate gateway drug i like to tell people so just trauma led me to to addiction and in my teenagers and, you know addiction was alcohol drugs girls all those kinds of things and then when i became an evangelical christian my addiction shifted from those sources to religion and performance. Mm-hmm. God just as unhealthy though. Of course, I didn't yeah. get it at the time that led me to Bible college and the pastoring world. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my, my heart was good, but you know, was, was not, you know, I was looking, I, I was looking for healing. I, I didn't realize that, that couldn't come from external sources, just was not aware of that. Anyway, that led me down that road, ended up planning a church, was in that world for several years and then um became disillusioned with that and that led me got to do some international traveling spent some time in the middle east um china india tibet those places that was probably a catalyst for my deconstruction just being in those places and experiencing some things there Mm. and uh, that led you know several years um began to really really rethink things and um it felt like in many ways coming home but it but it was also disconcerting because i felt like i was leaving behind everything i thought i knew
0: mm-hmm. and
1: i'm sure you can relate with that there's a sense of just what's next there's an ex- ex- existential crisis of a sense of identity you know because so much of my identity was wrapped up in beliefs and um, and even my profession so that led to a real darkness a real um, losing, uh, ended up happening, you know, I went through a divorce, lost a lot of just everything, you know, lost a lot of my community, just got to the point where I felt like I had nothing left. And that's really where I experienced the greatest amounts of healing. I had to face myself. I didn't realize I had been on the run for myself for, you know, for, for my, for my whole life, basically. And, uh, mm-hmm. got to come home to myself and, uh, meet my trauma and experience healing and, Uh, so that's been a journey as well. So, um, and that's led me into writing, uh, and now into life coaching. And that's, that's the summary version of a lot of years.
0: Dang. That's that. I, I've never heard someone put so much into such a small amount of time in a way that I was like, every five seconds, I was like, Oh, I want to know about that. I want to know about that. I want to know about that. (laughs) I want to know about that, um, but no. Thank you for sharing your story. And and if you wouldn't mind, I think for so many of us, like you said, that there's this existential crisis mm-hmm. um, when when our beliefs change, and their their core beliefs that that kind of cling to the very essence of our being. And so I'm interested to hear from you. What was there some doctrinal belief in particular that was like this is the thing that is my identity, and once this goes it's all green lights and I'm good to go.
1: That's a, it's a good question. Well, a cu- couple of things first, um, you know, I've always b- beliefs. And I heard someone say this and I, I, it resonates with me that beliefs are often a substitute for, for faith. And which can seem a little bit weird, but faith, I don't believe is, <laughs> or I, my experience with faith is that it's not belief based. It doesn't have to be belief based beliefs um, come and go and beliefs are meant to come and go. I believe—I I really feel like beliefs are like um, clothing and uh, they, they, they're like clothes. You can change them, but your, your faith is your being. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's your essence. It's who you are. So you can put clothes on your body. I mean, that breaks down eventually because then we have to say, "Our you know is our body our being? And which I don't believe it is, but that's a whole other <laughs> conversation. But just using that analogy of myself being my body, my beliefs are, are like clothes. So sometimes they support us and sometimes they're too small. They don't fit us anymore, <laughs> so to speak. And we have to get mm. big, bigger clothes to support our body. Um, in the same way, when we're growing, um, and our awareness of our being, then our beliefs have to stay, they have to grow with us. And if they don't, they become too small and they become restrictive and then they need to be changed. So, um, if we're not aware of ourself, our being, then we, it's very natural to attach our identity to our beliefs. And that's when people experience existential crisis, when they have a deacon, when they begin to recognize that the beliefs aren't working for them. And so I always tell people there are good beliefs and then there are not so good beliefs. <laughs> and people are like, well, hmm. there's true beliefs and there's false beliefs. So a true belief is one that supports you and a false belief is one that does not. So if if yeah. if your life isn't working, I always tell people, well, if it's working for you, then that's then keep doing it. You know, go 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 with those beliefs. If your beliefs don't cause you problems then that's probably a good belief for you but if they are then you can just get rid of the belief and i know that sounds crazy yeah um, but it's again it's not i'm not talking about faith i'm talking about belief so belief is mm-hmm. t- tends to be a substitute for faith when you have to you know put your sense of uh, of, of of being into the belief it's because we're not conscious of the being we're So we need a substitute of filler for that. And so that's why people get really tied up, you know, get hung up on doctrines. And like, this is the way it is because if you change that belief, then a person has a sense of the, the, the ground is getting, there's no ground to stand on. And they, they, it's, it's a real, it's a disruption in the sense of somebody's sense of certainty and safety. And so they can, Hmm. it can feel like they're in a free fall and that's, that's not healthy. That's not a healthy state to be in. And so people will hang on to the belief. So they don't feel that way, you know, yeah. and, uh, then that prevents people from changing their beliefs and the belief may not be working. Now. So if the belief's not working and you're hanging on to the belief because you're afraid of what it would feel like to let go of it. Now you're, you're in a, you're in a tough situation because you can't grow hanging on to the old belief, but yet you can't let go of the old belief because you're afraid of the unknown. And that's an all, that's always an opportunity. Then you need to, to discover something that is unshakable. And when you discover that thing, that's unshakable, then you can let go of beliefs if they don't serve you and you can acquire new ones that do because you're Mm. not threatened. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, I, I I generally agree that, um, that if, if a belief is good for you, then it's, it's good for you and and it's working, Mm -hmm. but I'm interested. I want to know what you would think. I mean, a doctrine that comes to my mind just cause it's the one that in my circles was always the one of like, Oh, you're not a Calvinist anymore. Sure. Um, so I think that there are certain people in the Christian sphere where it's like, okay, Calvinism, it, it's good for you, I guess. And if it's good for you, then keep believing it. But what happens when a belief is good for an individual, but bad for a collective?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, could you, let me ask you this. Could you unpack that a little bit more? In what way do you would you say a belief can be good for an individual but bad for a community? What would you mean by that?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think of someone... Uh, John, John Piper just came out with the book Christ and the Coronavirus. Huh. Um, and he... I haven't read it, and I'm probably not going to. But <laughs> he... Knowing from where he comes and and kind of coming from that background myself, Mm -hmm. I I know where he would land on the did God cause the coronavirus? Gotcha. Um, And and so for him, it's I mean at least it seems from a from a public perception that it it leads him into deeper uh, relationship with God to believe in that way. Now for someone. Uh, Brad Jersack brings it up in his book, a more Christlike God of someone who has just watched their family be murdered by, uh, criminals. He was like, that's not good news. Mm -hmm. That's not a good belief. Mm -hmm. And so you have people like Piper making these kind of broad theological statements that might be, I guess, but even as I'm saying it, I'm like, but then that's not good. Mm -hmm. Um, which I, so, so that, that's kind of where I would be going with it of, sure. for them. For them, it seems good, but for everyone else, it, it's kind of toxic.
1: Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Well, I'll tell you a couple of, I'll just tell you a little bit my about my process specifically with Calvinism. Okay. So, um, cause I used to subscribe wholeheartedly to the Calvinist belief system. And uh, when I was in college, I mean, I was a huge, just to give you a little background, I was a very, very, very much a proponent of John Piper and, you know, a lot, a lot of his teachings and books. And one of the things mm. that I loved about the Calvinist ideology was a sense it really, and I didn't know this at the time, it took a while for me to become aware of this much later, but I, what, what really, what I was attracted to was the sense of being chosen the mm. sense of like the elect. Oh, I am. And I, I really felt that like, and, 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 and folks in that circle would talk about the grace, like how grace became so much, more palpable for them when they started to realize, like based on nothing of our own, that, that that because of the good pleasure of God that we were chosen as elect from before the foundations of the world. I remember like dwelling on that and going, "Oh my goodness!" Like I felt elect.
0: Hmm. Actually, yeah.
1: and so I mean, I never, I wasn't on the other side of that. Now there were many people that were that were like, "Well, I don't feel elect." Yeah. And of course, they bought into that belief system, and it was terrifying. So, but, but for me, I really appealed to this idea of like, wow, I was chosen. I I wasn't dwelling on the implications of that. So wait, God chooses some people and some people he doesn't like, that's pretty horrific when you think about that. But I wasn't there when I was in that mindset, I was simply enamored with the feeling, the sense, the deeper sense of just, I feel so loved that this God based on nothing would just choose me because Oh man, it was incredible. And I think that's the appeal to it. But la- later I realized like, no, no, that's a human desire. There's a human need. There's a fundamental human need. I believe that humans are really all humans. And this is kind of the school of thought I come from. I believe that all humans have about six essential human needs. And one of them is the need to feel the significance of our own being, the significance of our own life. That's a beautiful thing. I really believe it's a God-given uh, desire that we have to feel significant. Now that was kind of in the Christian world, poo pooed, and that was kind of like, "Oh, that's your ego, and that's all bad." But I actually believe that's a beautiful desire. We are, we are here to be seen and heard. Now, I know that that goes against some other Calvinist ideas, but that yeah. at one point really appealed to me. Like I was chosen, so that was good. It was healthy for me. Um, but but where that started to unravel a little bit was because also in the Calvinist world, we were taught that everything is for the pleasure and glory of God, not ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I was a part of, I don't know if you're familiar with the whole passion movement of like, Oh yeah. Okay. So I was big into that huge. And when I was a, when we planted a church, it was predominantly a collegiate church, you know, on the campus of of Ohio state. And uh, we were really connected to the whole, that whole movement, which was the theme of that is not to us, but to to God be all the glory and Piper was a big instrumental part of that movement would speak at their annual conferences and things like that mm-hmm. and it was all about God's glory not our not for us God you know God's fame God's glory God's exaltation it's all about God not about us that was the big theme and i remember one day just in my own personal devotion time reading through John i think it was the gospel of John and we I came across chapter 17 John 17 and it said, uh, John, this was when Jesus was praying, like what they would call his priestly prayer before he was crucified. And he was saying, and he was praying and basically said, father, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says the, the, the love you've given to me, I've given to them. And he's basically talking, you know, about his disciples I've given to them. And, that, and I read that and I was like, yeah, that's nice. And just kind of move past that. And then there was another passage that said in the glory you've given to me, I've also given to them. And that's that literally shook me for a moment. I was like, wait, the hmm. the glory? And then I remember, I was like, wait, that's not even possible. Because in Isaiah, and I remember this passage in Isaiah, it says, you know, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I will not give to another. I will not give it away to anybody else. Like that's exclusively for God. And you know, I've heard so many sermons and from the whole Calvinist point of view, everything is about God's glory. So if it brings God glory, doesn't mean it doesn't matter what the means do not, the means doesn't matter. Like it's, it can be something evil, but as long as it results in the glory of God, that's good. And, um, and human beings need to be emptied. Human beings need to decrease so that God's glory can increase. So when I read this passage, this prayer in John 17, where Jesus saying, yeah, the glory you've given to me, I have given it to them. I was like, that is illicit. That is not appropriate. And I started to like, go wait, Jesus, you can't do that that's inappropriate. You can't, I can understand the, the father giving Jesus the glory because the idea in Christianity is that Jesus is a unique member of the Trinity. He's a second person of the Trinity. So therefore it's not idolatry for the, for God, the father to give glory to God, the son, totally acceptable, mm-hmm. but then to give it to humans, wait a minute. And it threw me for a loop. And that was, that yeah. was my first. And it was just like, I was like, but I can't argue because it it's right there in the Bible. Which I was taught to believe is inherent, so can't can't question that. I'm thinking, wait a minute, there is a problem here, and I could I was wrestling with it, and then I started to understand. It's like, wait a minute, what if the only way that's not idolatry is if God is 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 not something that's different than us? <laughs> and then I was like, Where's the heresy button. I mean, there's that straight. I mean, you can't you can't even go there. But these were thoughts crossing my mind. Like, wait, how could... Otherwise, if the, the concept is that, that you can't out, like God cannot commit adult uh, idolatry because really uh, um, idolatry or adultery is when you extend outside of your being that which was meant to be in the bond of love internally. Mm -hmm. And it just became clear to me like that. So that was an unraveling. It was the beginnings of my unraveling of wait. So there's no external God. Because we're talking about oneness here, this concept of oneness, you know, even Jesus says in that day, you will know that I am in my father, my father is in me and we're in you. So there's really nothing external and that's a hard thing to grasp, but it just, so this uh-huh. this idea that there's a God who's the chess master, who's playing like a game and moving and we're like the pawns on a chessboard that get just get moved around by some external deity, all knowing all powerful deity who's just doing things randomly that seems random to us and we have we're kind of these powerless figures like that just could didn't work anymore it just was like that's mm-hmm. what if there is no god out there that is moving the chess pieces around what if that's actually a fictitious concept therefore that 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 begins to implode now i didn't come there all at once it was a slow journey a slippery slope, so to speak. <laughs> that's that's how it got unraveled. And it for me, my language was the Bible. so I'll, I love that the divine speaks my language. and at the time, that was my language. It's not it's no longer my language, but it was my language then. So I needed to read it in John seventeen and go, oh, the human beings can be glorified. Wow. So God gives glory It just to humans. very interesting. yeah, um, different concepts. So therefore, <laughs> how does that work? So who are we? Are we, who are we that we should receive glory? (laughs) Yeah. So, and
0: and I, I guess that would lead to my next question then. Who are we?
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. That's a great, it's a great question. I, I honestly, I believe that we are, so there's, there's, there's a confusion I think that goes on in the world in a nutshell. People are confused. I think, I believe that people have attached to what is commonly, you know, I'll use this language now. I I wouldn't use it then, but, um, the language now, uh, so I think that people, when you're born, let's just use this, this analogy, when somebody is born into the world, a baby is born, a baby has no beliefs. So a a baby can feel loved. A baby can feel and experience the sense of being wanted, the sense of being accepted. This is none of this is belief-based. Um, because babies don't, they don't have beliefs, so th- this is a state of being. So that again, coming back to this essence of faith or being based, essence based, you can experience. And I truly believe that all knowledge, true knowledge, is not just information uh, stored away in, you know, a cognitive mind somewhere. That that's where beliefs are founded from uh, upon, but true knowledge comes from experience. So like exper- experiencing something. So again, love, how do you, how would you teach love to somebody? You you really can't teach somebody. You can talk about it from an academic standpoint and those things could be valid, but that, that doesn't mean somebody would know what love is. You really have to experience it um, in, to- in order to know anything. I mean, I could tell you all about chocolate, but until somebody actually experiences chocolate, then it's not, you're not doing it justice. So my understanding is that um, when a baby comes into the world, a baby is experiencing the essence of being as themselves. And then a couple of years go by and we begin to, it's part of the human experience. We begin to, you know, become, you know, see ourselves through the lens of our family, our parents. And then we begin to develop a story. We're called by a name. We have a name, that name and um, that story. And then we experience life as as happening to us and that that's a shift in consciousness so life is not life is now happening to us we begin to f- form our own story how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive others and then that then our identity gets attached to those perceptions first it's our parents perceptions and our family's perceptions and then eventually we adopt those perceptions of ourselves, and then we begin to form identity this is but it's a story it's not actually who we are it's a story um and then, you know, as we grow and develop our experience and our experiences grow, we begin to, our, our sense of attachment to these things grow, but who we are was the same person we were before we had a name. Hmm. Um, but that's who we've always been as, as our, is the nameless, um, identity, like no story, the storyless nameless person is who we are, which I would, cons- I would call that pure being pure awareness. And, um, the human, our human experience is giving us an experience of things. I believe the reason we are here is to have experience, have an experience of life because we learn and we grow through the experience. So in many ways, like when someone says, you know, I used to think of God as this mainframe computer in the sky somewhere that has all this information and knowledge just all knowing. But again, that's the academic kind of just facts and figures and beliefs and statements that's that's that kind of mindset but what if that's not god at all what if there is no mainframe computer in the sky somewhere but really when we call when we consider god as this being who is all knowing if we think of knowing in an experiential way then god only has knowledge through experience so therefore there's the necessity for incarnation because incarnation is there's a purpose to incarnation which is to give us an experience. So love, you know, I have a friend that always says love loves to love, but love always needs an object. So for the purposes of relationship and love, we have this, the the appearance of separate beings here in the world, but in Mm. reality, and this is what some of the things that Jesus was communicating to disciples, like in reality, we're all one. But we don't appear that way for the purposes of having an experience. So we can begin to relate here. And um, so who we are is the, I would say we are, we are the observer. We are the being, we are the consciousness or the awareness. Basically um, that's having an experience. So there's two people, there's one having the experience and then there's the one that is experiencing something. So there's a couple of different angles here. So this, you know, when, when I'm born and then I'm given a name and I have a form and I have a story, that person is temporary. That person will die, Hmm. but the consciousness will not, the being itself will not, that's eternal. So, you know, and I believe Jesus was alluding to this when he would say things like, and he had an awareness. So the idea is to become awakened to that person, why we're having the experience in this life. So that we're not terrorized with the experience, which is the reason people are suffering in the world is because they're not awake. Uh, They're disconnected in the sense of they're, they're not awake to the essence of who they are. So when Jesus would say things like before Abraham was born, I am. A lot of people, you know, I, I understand how that's been interpreted for us in the, in the, tr- in the Christian tradition. It's like, well, that's Jesus speaking from his place as the second person in the Trinity. But that's actually not the case because <laughs> he's, yeah. he, he's, he's not like when you read the passage in the context, he's making a statement and then, you know, he's, he, you know, he's, there's a whole conversation going on. And then he goes, yeah, but, you know, he's like, you, you haven't, you're not even, you don't even know, you're not even 50 years old. and you, you speak like Abraham knew you or you knew Abraham. And he's like, well, before Abraham was born. And of course, lived thousands of years before. He's like, no, before he was born, I am, I exist. And of course they they get that language of, because that, that was God's name revealed to Moses back, you know, when Moses was like, tell us your name, because Moses, just like the people of his day, were are looking for every tribe, every little sect had their God and their God had a personal name and you know? And so like, well, tell me who you are. Give me your name. And God answered the question. It was profound. Uh, the way God answered that question in, in, was Genesis, like, well, like there's like, there is no name there. There's no name because I'm not, I'm not a person in the way that you fashion a person. Like the name is just being itself. I am that I am. It's Mm -hmm. just being. And so when Jesus says, that's who I am before Abraham was born, I am just pure being. Um, they picked up rocks because they, again, the Jewish idea was God is somewhere in the sky, some separate, all powerful being out there. And Jesus is now speaking as if he is that person and he, they pick up rocks to kill him. And he's like, well, what are you going to stone me for? What good work are you going to stone me for? And he said, not for any good work because you being a single human, make yourself out to be God. And he said, does not your scriptures say we are all G O D S gods does that. And he's quoting from Psalm 82 which has a whole other context, which is incredible, but that's a whole other story. But he's basically saying, I'm not using this exclusively for me. I'm actually saying something the scriptures already say about all of us, that at the, who are you beyond the story? It's a, it's a long story of getting back to your question. Who are we? Well, who were you before you had a name? Hmm, who will yeah. you be long after your story dies? Yeah. Being itself. And this is something that other traditions, Eastern traditions have been talking about for a long time, but I honestly believe it's the truth. Well, I always say it. Truth is truth. I don't care what, what, what tribe it's, you know, what language is on if, if it's, and this is what Jesus was talking about. This is what he was teaching. He was like, we have to wake up to the beyond the story. And even I do this in my coaching work, when a person can identify what is the story and make that a, make a distinction between their story and their, and themselves, then they get power over their life. Cause if you don't like the story, you change the story, but who you are is the one who does it. The, who you are is the one that is powerful is the one who is unshakable, who is the one that is the source. And it is the place where you will find God is in that Mm -hmm. place. This is when people talk about Christ in you. Well, the, you is not the ego or the storied self, it is your highest self. And in and, mm. and early translations of Christianity, so in early streams of Christianity before the fourth century, um, it wasn't just Christ in you. It is Christ as you, the hope mm. of glory, which is the ultimate incarnation.
0: Yeah. Dang. It's a, it's a lot, to, lot to chew on and unpack there.
1: <laughs> yeah, there is a lot there. Totally. But Jesus operated, I really believe as the Christ, not in a way that's exclusive to him. Otherwise we'd be screwed because the whole Mm -hmm. idea of Christianity is imitating this person. How could you imitate this person unless we shared his essence, his, his own substance. So like, there's a, you know, I think a passage in John, um, first John, I think it says as he is in the world. So are we like in the same Mm. way, not, not in a different way.
0: Yeah. So then w- with that in mind, it would seem that if with God proclaiming himself as I am or or the source or or consciousness in and of itself, and then Jesus proclaims the same thing about himself and then alludes to this idea that we are as well, then it would – and if we're called to imitate him on top of that, then it seems like the entire idea is to start at the source – and then allow our experience to bring us back to the source. Exactly. So it's kind of like life, life, death and in reverse. In, in a way,
1: totally, totally. And, and then, but we have an experience now. So there's a contrast so that we, okay. we become the, the experience of life. Um, when, when we wake up to our, our essence, the, the things we're experiencing only it's like, it's the way I look at it is like, you know, you need a black sky, to see the stars, you know, so it provides some con- contrast there. And for, for whatever reason, we need this experience called life to, to highlight certain things like, mm. like love, like forgiveness. Like these are, these are all attributes of the divine, but they yeah. are, they're only, they're only potentialities in, in for in a form in the formless dimension. But when we need form, we need a dimension where these things can be fleshed out to be experienced.
0: Hmm. So, so then how does that work? I mean, I know we're, we're running a, a little short on time and, but I, I, I want to, I want to hear from you of, uh, it, it kind of changes the game in the way that we think of holiness in, in the way that we think about being made righteous or the way that we think about, I mean, to use the Neo-Calvinist word sanctification. <laughs> right. So, so what does that look like for, for you, for me? What does it look like to recognize who we are? and then have our experiences that as you said that are meant to highlight attributes of this source in order for us to get back to it
1: yeah that's a that's a great question well one of the things that i think can be problematic for us as this was problematic for me is when we look at the world as being okay so like is there a problem to be fixed And I actually come, I actually look at this, it goes, there's actually nothing wrong. So therefore nothing to be fixed. I know that sounds crazy. The only thing wrong is the idea that there's something wrong. So, Mm -hmm. so this concept, so there's two ways to look at it. So sanctification, the way I was taught, sanctification was like, well, you're, you know, you got problems. And so you need to learn how to be holy because right now you're not holy so you need to learn how to be this thing you, this is you need to you need to grow in this because it's about becoming righteous and that that presupposes that there's my my current state is not okay and that I think that can be a mm. prob- problematic so I, I don't the way i look at it now is i am growing up and experiencing the goodness that i am i'm growing up into you know, I, I will, I will say I'm, I am the image and likeness of God. And even if you want to use the biblical language, we were made in the image and likeness. So I am, I am growing up into the experience of that reality. So you can't I always tell me where are you right now? <laughs> well, I am where I am and where am I? Well, someone say you're in California. Well, that's what my body's in California, but my body is not actually where I am. And, and, and it's, so this may be a little, another tangent, but I'm get, going somewhere with this the way we've been taught is that, okay, your soul is in your body. So, you know, we believe our spirit or our soul, however you want to put that it lives in our body. And then God lives in our body on top of that. If you're, if you're a believer, if you, this is what we've been taught in the evangelical word, if you are a Christian, you say you believe the right things, then God's spirit comes to live in you with your soul inside your body. But I mean, that presupposes that your, your essence is your body, but that's actually not true. That's not where we are. So I would like to put it this way. Our body is actually in our soul and it's not the other way around. So when, when death happens, your body leaves your soul, it ceases to exist, but your soul still is the, the universe out there. The the world out there is not, we're not actually in the world. The world is actually in us. The universe is not, we're not in the universe. The universe is in us. It's actually, we are the source, the central, where are we? Well, we are where every, everybody is already is. So it's being expressed. It's kind of like when you watch a movie, where is that movie? It it looks like it's in front of you playing out on a screen in front of you, but in reality, it's not even in front of you. If you look around, (laughs) if you look behind you, there's a stream of light (laughs) coming from the (laughs) back that's projecting it out there. So it looks like it's in front of you, but it's not. It's the same thing with, with what I call life. Life looks like it's out there and we're experiencing it. It's actually coming from consciousness. It's a perception of consciousness. So. I say all that to say we are already where we are. So in the Bible, there's you know it says we're seated with Christ at the right hand of God. Like where is that? You know if we and then we're like is it up in the sky somewhere? No, it's 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 not even a place. It's it's a Mm. it's it's a it's a dimension of being, and everything we're experiencing is coming from that place with God. That's where we're seated. So you, you can't get to. A place where you already are and you you can't be what you already are, but you can experientially in this thing called life grow in our awareness of it. So I would look at a baby to go back to your question. What is sanctification? Go back to a baby. When a baby is learning to crawl and then eventually walk, there is a blueprint already in that baby. It's amazing there's a blueprint for walking already in there. And the body is just kind of learning how to move into it. So it's very natural. Mm -hmm. If you put a baby on the floor, they're going to start to crawl and their muscles are going to develop and they're going to learn to hold their head up and, you know, they're gaining core strength and eventually their legs are getting started. They're moving their legs. They're propelling themselves backwards. That's because there's something programmed into their body that, that knows that eventually the, the trajectory is to walk and then to run. And it's like that in everything, you know, your body, you come, a baby is born into the world with a blueprint for how to grow up. And so there's an experience of that. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. And yet there's stumbling and falling and that kind of thing, but it's growing up into what it is at, at the body level. But I would say that even by about our, our own being that in this life, we are growing up into what we are. It's progressive, realization of self and mm. that's that's my understanding of sanctification it's not a problem that's being fixed it's just a process of growing up from from a, a perfect little baby into a thriving powerful adult uh, in this life and uh, ultimately that that transcends even this experience called life but that's my understanding of sanctification it's and holiness isn't it has nothing to do with performance my understanding mm. Jesus said, be holy because the source, your heavenly father, whatever language you want to use on that, the source, the divine, the heavenly father is holy. So you be holy. So how do you do that? Well, be, I mean, it's even how he said, uh, just be it, just be being itself. It's the, it's the verb to exist, which is not yeah. performance. So you come back to being, which, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? Some people say, well, how do you just be? Well, a great way is to be still, which is even, we have that in the, be still and know experience, knowledge of the divine, be still and know that I am being itself. I am God is redundant. Be still and know that I am, I am that I am. How do you do that? You come back to stillness being itself and there's a perfection there. There's literally a perfection at the place of being. That's why sometimes we'll look at a baby and go, "Look, it's perfect. Look at that. Look at that perfection." <laughs> yeah, there, babies yeah. not mean anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it, it, it's so interesting to to me uh, that perspective on on all of it, on on holiness, on on sanctification, on being seated at the right hand of the Father. This makes it so much simpler Mm -hmm. and and not in the sense that it has to be simple, but in the sense that it, the, uh, the alternative is, is this kind of, you're a worm. Uh, it's grace alone, but do better is kind of the, the, the mantra, but it, and I always kind of bring it back to in my own experience of going from someone who believed in, in eternal conscious torment to someone who was an annihilationist to someone who became a, a Patristic Universalist, my relationships and and my ability to love people became more genuine. Yes, and so I think the thing that that I appreciate so much about what you've said today and and what you've said numerous other times is just how it it I, I've gotten the or I haven't gotten it down, but it's made it a lot simpler to love people and not treat them like projects. And and so it it gives me the opportunity to. Love myself, yeah. and not treat myself as a project wow. to actually that's live so my, live my life.
1: Yeah, I love what you said there. To not treat yourself as a project. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, we're not a project. We're we're an ex- we're having an experience. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can enjoy ourselves. We don't need to fix yeah. ourselves or make ourselves into something that yeah, that we're not yet. You know, in that idea, it's like no, nah, we're just. We, we are, I, ultimately, yeah. you know, it's, how can you say the name of God? There's only one way to say it through stillness, be still and know that I am, it, you know, that I am. It's, it's just, you, you, it's interesting to me that the, that Moses, when he's like, who's, who are you God? And, and God's re- revelation to Moses was, I'm not going to give you a name, just being itself. And I have a friend that always says, God is not a being among other beings. And that's how we, I've, we've been given through religion we've been taught that God is this big being and we are these little beans. And so my friend says, God is not a bean among beans, but is the ground and source of all being. And that's a game mm-hmm. changer. Cause then there's no, there's nothing to, to strive against or compete with, you know, it's just, yeah. just being itself.
0: Yeah. Gosh, how it was always supposed to be. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, Jamal, I, I, I want to ask just to kind of in closing of, of where can people find you and are you working on anything right now or, or where can people uh, be pointed to engage more with, with the work you do with choir and also the work you do on your own?
1: Yeah. You know, uh, i always direct people to my website, which is uh, Jamal com, And um, I have a book that's out called living for a living. And it came out about a year ago and uh, it's that the gist of that book is really helping people move into their, their, what I call their soul purpose, why they're here, their calling their work in the world. And that helps people make that transition from an economy of, you know, just surviving, needing to pay the bills to moving into the work. That's all about love and service. And so it's um, it deals with money. It deals with concepts of poverty um, and uh, really hoping to help people experience some healing and move that so that into, so they can move into their work while they're here. So, um, that's the gist of that book living for living. So that, um, I've linked to that book on, it's a, it's a book you can get through Amazon, but uh, all of that information can be found on my website, which is jamaljivaji.com. I have my own personal podcast called the love cast with Jamal. And again, links for that are on my website. And, um, I also have a life coaching practice where um, I work with people, individuals and groups, um, around a lot of these concepts and, um, but again, the link f- to, to that is all on my website. So and again, I'm also um active on social media, Facebook, Instagram, that kind of thing. So yeah.
0: Heck yeah. Well, well Jamal, I just like I I told you before, um, before we started recording, that I always try to end the time with with kind of just a, a practice of encouragement. I feel like within the Christian sphere, both post deconstruction and, and still even in the evangelical spectrum. I feel like that's something that's really lacking of of just being able to encourage one another. Mm. And so I just really want to encourage you in in the work that you're doing, and especially in in my own life personally, it, it's interesting. I always tell people that my deconstruction journey started with uh, kind of head first where I started with uh, Richard Rohr's podcast yeah. and mm-hmm. uh to Happy Hour was kind of my jumping point. So it was all this talk about uh, the Enneagram and spiral dynamics and mm. um, Christ consciousness. And, and in all of that, it, it was amazing to have voices like Richard's, like Keith's, like Matt's, and, and also like yours that, that really pushed me forward and made me desperately uncomfortable in a, in a time where I desperately needed to be uncomfortable. And so I I just really want to thank you for being a, a huge part of my faith journey and my own spiritual healing. And also for the, the others that don't have the opportunity to say that to you personally. I just want to say it on behalf of them as well.
1: Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot. I totally, totally receive that and feel the weight of that. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on tonight.
1: Of course. Of course. Thank you for having me. And uh, thanks for hosting these conversations are so important. Absolutely.